the one thing that nobody really talks about or introduces themselves as is that I buy businesses. And just doing that is, is one of the most powerful things that you can do. Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that teaches you and other busy pros how to grow your wealth so you can live life on your own terms. I'm your host, Taylor Lowe. Our guest today is Ace Chapman. Rescuing small businesses is all the rage on television, whether it's John Taffer with Bar Rescue or Tabitha Kofi's Salon Takeover. Despite the fact that none of them actually do it, these shows are fueling interest in a new trend. Move over real estate flippers. Ace Chapman is building a nationwide group of business flippers. Ace bought his first business at 19 with some savings from a summer job, and he caught the business buying bug. He leveraged $3,000 he saved working the summer before college into buying a business for $70,000. Over the last 16 years, he has bought 40 businesses, everything ranging from a mortgage company to a clothing retailer. And right now, he is seeing an explosion in the market for businesses under $2 million. He says there are millions of baby boomer business operators who want to bring their businesses to market in the next decade so they can retire. During the recession, many baby boomers wanted to sell their company, but decided to hold off until better economic times. And those economic times are pretty much right now, if you're paying attention. So I'm pretty excited about this. I always love the show Bar Rescue. And as an apartment investor, we look at, at it as we're buying a business that is just housed in an apartment building. We're improving the operations. And then we sell it again later at the time when the business is earning more money. So this is a pretty exciting one. Definitely a very unique way of investing. So Ace, welcome to the show. It's good to be here with you. And yeah, as we were talking before we got on, I think when it comes to apartment buildings, like you mentioned, you're buying a business, you've got to do marketing, you're looking at occupancies, it becomes a thing of really analyzing a business to acquire and then on the other side, selling a business to someone who wants to get into that. So excited to be here. I hadn't gotten to be on the show yet where there was that much of a tie-in into what I do. Awesome. Well, I mean, I'm happy to have you because it's very exciting. I mean, there's a lot out there. And I suppose as I think about this, that the potential for buying a business that someone else owns and maybe is running, we always want to, especially in the real estate world, we, we think about trying to avoid buying ourselves another job. So when we're going out buying a business, you know, how can we look at it to target an opportunity where we can run it like the E-Myth says we need to run it where we're working on the business and not in the business. And we're not just buying ourselves another job, say, for two million bucks. Well, one of the unfortunate things is most of the businesses that you're going to see on the market today are jobs. And I don't know if it's just the fact that the average entrepreneur and business owner hasn't read the E-Myth or they don't have time to worry about that kind of thing. But it's something that is you have to decide as a business buyer where you want to get the most value. So for me, I enjoy buying a business that is going to be some work on the front end. What I look at it as is that I'm avoiding the three to four, five years of going from scratch to break even to finally making money 
trying to figure out what the products are that are going to work, trying to find the employees that are going to help manage the business the right way, and actually just even show up on time, finding the marketing strategies that are the right strategies. And as we know anything about business, most businesses aren't going to make it through that gauntlet. I call it the entrepreneur's gauntlet. And it's because very few people are able to figure out all of those things and make a business that works and actually have a sellable asset that they can bring to the market. And it's funny, I was telling this story on a call just yesterday, but when I was in Tennessee, I bought or or helped to sell a, a wine business. And it was built by this couple that was passionate about wine They'd grown this business. They poured just a lot of work into it. They were super passionate about this concept. But for three years, they had kind of poured all their money, all their time, and all their energy to getting this thing from zero customers, zero income, zero employees to something that was actually working. And it just hit broke break even. And they reached out to me one evening and they're like, hey, want to sell our business. We heard, we were told by a friend that you buy businesses. We're wondering if you can meet tonight. And I'm like, well, I, I'm kind of busy tonight, but <laughs> I can meet you sometime later this week. And they're like, we just, we really want to sell this tonight. We talked about it and we can't bring ourselves to go there tomorrow. So we need to get rid of this. I hear this story time and time again, but you get so burnt out. And they were like, it's taking a toll on our relationship. All those things come first. In that case, I was able, basically, I had another uh, guy that was really passionate about wine. I came in, I invested in a deal. And that business, the reason I was talking about it yesterday is because a friend of mine last week was saying that it was her birthday and that kind of thing. I asked her what she did. And this is 12 years later. She was like, oh, I went to this spot. It was the wine place. It's like, ah, like, no, I'm not even in Chattanooga anymore, but it's cool. A guy that I invested with bought me out eight years ago. So it wasn't that the business didn't work. It's that so much sacrifice goes into starting a business from scratch that I'm excited just that it's working and it's profitable because that puts it in the top 20% of businesses. Now, what I want to do is go in and create those systems and processes, which creates another level of buyer. And that's when you're dealing with a kind of a more, I want to get a retail sell on that business, which is also what your listeners want to do with apartment bills or any business that you're selling is you want to be that, you want to buy wholesale, do a little bit of work because a majority of the work has been done to kind of just work on the business and put those kind of e-myth strategies in place, create another level of value. And I kind of call it the franchise effect, where in addition to the business, it's like, okay, people go out and they buy, you have these two separate things. They buy businesses because they're making money. A lot of times it's going to be a job. And then on the other end, they buy franchises where they're willing to just pay some upfront money for something that's not making money just because the systems are there. So you can bring both of those together, that creates something that you can sell at a high premium. How do we get started? Or like, where do we find a business to buy 
kind of off market, so to speak. I mean, you mentioned your existing network. I mean, is there somewhere we can go? Do we put a ad in a classified somewhere? How do you get started by that business? Yeah. The number one way I mentioned that story kind of, it's funny when those people reached out to me, it was because of networking and telling people what I do. I think the interesting thing about buying businesses is when you go to a event or a party or you're hanging out with even just friends, you'll have somebody in there who may be investing in the stock market. You may have some other people there who are doing real estate. The one thing that nobody really talks about or introduces themselves as is that I buy businesses. And just doing that is is one of the most powerful things that you can do. It's, it's literally how I got the lead for that wine business. And what you're doing is people's psyche, there's a certain amount of real estate for different things. So they may have a few realtors, but they have their friend. It's like their main person that they're going to recommend if somebody needs a realtor. They have their mortgage person. They're like, okay, I know somebody that does this. They have their person that sells cars. So you've, ha- you've got that real estate. And what I want is anytime somebody talks about they know somebody who wants to sell a business, I want to be the only person that they know. They don't, even if we're not close friends and the <laughs> referral that sent me the Y business, they could not know me at all, but I'm going to be the only person in their psyche that they have ever heard of that buys businesses. And that's been one of my greatest sources for deals. For somebody who's just starting, I think it's more valuable. And there we go through in our network, we talk about a hundred different strategies. You can go to the chamber and you can build relationships with accountants. That's another great source I bought. And outside of just network, my network, I've bought and sold more deals through my accountants than anything else and just networking with accountants. And so there are a lot of ways to generate deal flow down to direct outreach just on a call with uh, somebody in network that would just literally walked into a business and gave them a card and we're talking and the person's interested and we're walking through kind of next steps together. But outside the initially the best thing you can do is just go to bizbysell.com and look at what's on the market because obviously it's great when I can talk to people that are doing something that is somewhat similar. And whether it's apartment buildings, whether it's a car, whether it's a couch from a buddy, the best deal that you're going to get is not something that's advertised. It's buying something from somebody off market. So we understand that. But to get to know the market, the best thing is to look at the things that are on market before you start trying to generate deals off market. So if I am, I want to buy that, uh, get that amazing deal on the Rolls Royce. I want to know, like, what do they sell for just off of the lot? That's the only way I'm going to know that I'm getting a good deal. And when it comes to businesses, every sector, every industry, every size has a totally different economy, different multiples, different expectations on the deal structure. So You want to be able to talk intelligently with those deals that are off market. So the first thing is to get really good and maybe even make some offers on on market deals. Other thing I'll say is that this isn't a very liquid market. The nice thing is the same way that I talk about when you're at the party, nobody else is professionally buying businesses. That is the other side of that is the fact that there's nobody buying a lot of businesses. So (laughs) 
end up in a situation where even on the market, you can find some really amazing deals because there's not as much liquidity. There's not as much market efficiency in the business buying market, especially when you compare it to real estate and even more so when you compare it, obviously, to things like the stock market. In this marketplace, there just isn't that efficiency. Most of the I'm rarely in a bidding situation. It's me sitting across from the seller. And the most valuable thing that I can have is my ability to structure the deal in a way that has that seller feel like, hey, I'm getting what I want out of this, even if they are getting an amazing deal. And then how you communicate that deal with that seller. And then the second most important thing is how you do due diligence to make sure that you're buying what you thought you were buying, which is one of the reasons that this space, the, the opportunities that exist do exist is because most people you know, don't know what they're doing. They get into the space, they try to buy a deal. They don't know anything about due diligence, which is so fun to me. Like yeah, I get people who come to us after they bought a business and they're like, hey, like I got screwed on this deal and I ended up buying this thing and it wasn't what they said it was. And da, da, da. And I'm like, okay, well, like, tell me about your due diligence strategy. It's like, well, I didn't really have a due diligence strategy. It's like, well, I don't think they really screwed you. I think you did that to yourself by buying something and not understanding what you were buying. So when it comes to these deals, the due diligence is crucial. And then the final thing is being able to put together the capital. So where you get the money from and making sure that you're getting a low cost of capital is kind of that final piece. So those are the three crucial things before you even worry about doing generating the off-market deal flow. Yeah, it's interesting. The one I was going to, the point I was going to hammer on is if someone's thinking about getting into this or they might be interested, I mean, what are you talking in terms of level of investment? I mean, it probably ranges pretty significantly. But putting a capital together, it's it's not, at least from my understanding, it's not quite as easy to get on a business investment as it is on a piece of commercial real estate. So are you going to bring on a partner and an equity partner and take out a loan and work it that way? Or what's the process financially to close on a business? And what are you talking in terms of level of investment? Yeah, you're exactly right. When it comes to these deals, there are <laughs> a lot fewer places that are just like, hey, take 80%, take 90% of what you're, what you're trying to buy. And we're going to, you come up with 10, 20% and we'll finance the rest. You've got to be a lot more creative. So that's the downside. The upside is because of that, seller financing is way more prevalent. So at the moment, just because it's fresh in my mind, we're, we're going over some numbers on this. Between my entities, which I do also have a small private equity fund, we have borrowed about $11 million from sellers. And that's either in earnouts that we're paying or sellers that are seller financing a part of the business. The amazing thing with about that $11 million is that I didn't have to write, I didn't have to do an application for that. They never pulled my credit. The really crazy thing is there's not a dime where the sellers 90% of the time do not ask for interest. 
just because they're not a bank. Like they're just like, hey, I want to sell my business. You pay me this over this period of time. So we don't pay. We're like we're current. I, there, there's been been involved in 180 deals. I've got 40 deals that I've bought personally and then 180 that are either in other entities and clients and in the network and that kind of thing. None of my deals have ever had any entry. We have one deal out of 180 where the seller realized like, oh, I'm loaning you money. Maybe I should charge interest for that money. And so, of course, we paid it. But on 11 million, we don't have a dime of interest that's been paid. That's one of the pros. And we won't do a deal if it's less than 50% seller financing. I want the, the seller to be in the deal with me and almost a partner. And so I like it to be more than 50%, but I want at least 50% from them. The rest of that either comes from me. The cool thing is that we're able to borrow against assets in the business. And so we're doing a deal right now that's actually an internet business where it's an FBA business. We've got 60% that the seller's doing a earn out on, and then we, we kind of put 40% of the money, but 30% is being paid based on is a loan based on the inventory that's in the business. It's an interesting loan. It's almost like a consignment of the inventory. So they get a portion of, it's not like a regular loan. They get a portion each time a product is sold until the loan is paid off. So you have to be creative, but between AR, fin- AR and invoice financing, individual investors, asset financing, inventory financing, like I mentioned, with all of these things, you can kind of combine them to, in some cases, people are interested in some of the stories and different examples. I don't want to take a bunch of time just going through. Obviously, there are a lot of examples, but we've got a lot of examples of just no money down deals, and even cash back deals where if you get creative enough, you can put these things together in a way that allows you to buy the business without you coming out of pocket. Interesting. So if we, if say, um, put myself in the shoes of investor out there, or a listener rather, out there making, say, $200,000 at their W-2 job and they want out, and maybe they're interested in buying a business, probably won't replace that income right away, but making enough of an income to support oneself off buying a business and then rolling that upward and eventually fully replacing that W-2 income. And what does that typically look like, especially for somebody just getting started and maybe buying their first business? They might not want to go, might not be advisable to go all in on the first one, right? It really depends. I'll give you, I'll give as many examples as you want. I'll give you one and then we can go to like another extreme. One extreme would be the person that has a very very high six-figure income. He's We've actually got an interview coming out with him, so I can mention his name because it's going to be public. But a guy named Retta from New York, lives in Manhattan, worked on Wall Street, actually worked on in private equity. But one of the things that's interesting is that when you get into micro private equity, the space that we're in, a sub five million is just totally different than bigger private equity. But it's like, I want to spend more time with my family. I've got to get out of here. Anybody who knows anything about Wall Street, they don't care how much time I spend. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not on their list of priorities. It's, oh, you didn't spend more time with your family this year. Let's see if we can figure that out. 
So it's like, I got to get out of here. And he had a deadline. It's like, I am quitting. And anybody that knows anything about living in Manhattan and having kids in private school in Manhattan, it's expensive. And so we needed to figure out how are we going to replace his income? In that case, what we ended up doing was we did an SBA deal. So we bought a business. It was $1.23 million business, bought it at a three multiple. That means it's making 300 grand a year. And basically we were able to structure it where we got the majority from the bank. We had some seller financing and then we had some inventory financing. But between everything, basically he put in a hundred thousand in the deal. But that 100000 was just a transfer of the funds. So it was basically he was putting 100000 into his own bank account that was going to be used for the business. So he didn't have to actually spend the money. It was just, all right, I'm putting this amount. It's transferring over to this LLC. And now I have the operating costs for a few months and and that kind of thing. So you can get really creative with the deal. And the nice thing about that one, Ben, is it was more about, less about creativity and more about, all right, I want to stretch out the payments and make sure that I've got this income coming in. And for me, it was really rewarding because took off for a month, took the family to Europe, traveled around, Got to see the manufacturing plant where the product but that the business sales was. So tied in a little bit of business. Like that was something that was a complete and utter impossibility from his previous job and what he had to do to generate that. Wow. So what did the calendar look like on that from when he decided I'm doing this to when he was out? We started working together this time last year. It was last October, November. And then he ended up, the other thing with these is they take, which you got, you're going to be familiar with, with apartment buildings. The downside is it takes a long time to close. We got the contract on the deal in February and it ended up closing around May. Hmm. Okay. That did take a little while, but the time frame yep. prior to that of finding the business to buy from when you started working to it with him to when the actual business was located, what did that look like? That was from November to February. So about three, four months. Hmm. Wow. I would say that's pretty fast. That's very impressive. Is that a typical case or is that kind of on the fast side? It really changes based on the person. So some people are doing like what I prefer is I've got somebody else who comes to mind who's in the same group. Usually I'll work with people in in groups of fours. So somebody in that same group who sold a business and she wanted to start building up a portfolio of passive income. So for her, she was doing smaller deals that were more passive. And so I think her first deal was was actually an internet blog that was just very passive. Um, she bought, it may have been, it's between, it's under a $100,000 deal, but it's super passive. And that was something that those can be done in 60 days. At the other end of the spectrum is the person 
that is, hey, I love sports. I really want to buy something that's in the sports arena. And when you put those other filters, the great thing about Reda was it's just, hey, I got to do whatever it takes to make at least 300000 Whatever that thing is, I don't care what the product is or what the niche is or what the business model is. Let's get the very best deal that we can get the very best deal structure on. We can have that as the filter. That becomes easier. When it's, hey, I'm a retiree. I've got some income. I don't want to do work unless I'm going to make some make money, but I want to enjoy it while I'm making money as well. And so that becomes like extra kind of filter that is it's impossible to quantify because it's just like, oh, I want to do something cool. Let's go find something cool. <laughs> and that's what you end up looking for to you. Okay, that that's interesting. And as far as going out to buy a business, you're only buying businesses that are at least breaking even, right? You're not buying anything that's losing money or uh, do I have that wrong? No, so we only buy things that are we're making we're only buying things that are making money because we buy it based on the multiple that it of cash flow. So if we buy something that is break even, which has been done, we'll buy that for a dollar. We won't pay money for anything that is break even or lower. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right. So I got three questions for you. Ace, what is the best investment you've ever made? First business I ever bought is will always be my best investment. Number one, because the deal was a really great deal, but I'm 19 years old. I've saved $3,000 from working the summer before. And the next summer, I reached out to a company that had a stock market simulator that I wanted to intern for, mainly because I love the product and the game that they built but it was always crashing. They were unresponsive. I'm like, oh, they must be so busy that they can't respond to people. So let me go intern for them and learn how this whole thing works. Well, they responded back saying, hey, we've actually moved on to another product. We want to sell this. If you know anybody wants to buy it, let us know. And so, and they actually said like, oh, and if you find us a buyer, you could intern for them. I'm like, that sounds like a terrible deal. Like find you a buyer for your business and get a free job. So ended up, getting some information about the business and long story short, over some time, made them an offer and, and got them to finance half of it. Got a buddy of mine to put up 15 grand. I had $3,000 and took out credit cards, which is something <laughs> I do not recommend people do for the rest of it and ended up closing that deal and grew it, ended up leaving college and it was the thing that just changed the trajectory of my life, which is makes it an incredible investment, but also was able to leverage that $3,000 into something that ended up becoming worth seven figures because we literally got a seven-figure offer from Ameritrade and also was the best lesson of my life is that something is always for sale, Taylor, because at that point I told Ameritrade that it was not for sale. And 2001.com bubble burst, and that offer was quickly rescinded. <laughs> so if they make you an offer you can't refuse, then you're best off not refusing it. Wow. Absolutely. All right. On the other Absolutely. side of that, what is the worst investment you've ever made? 
The worst investment was <laughs> I had bought a small internet, basically a small internet deal, and the business was a neat little business. It was turning a profit. I knew that it was going to be somewhat risky because it used a trademark word in the domain name. So it was photoshoponline.com and Photoshop is owned by Adobe, but it was making so much money. I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and buy this thing. I'm getting it negotiated the guy down and it was a hundred percent my fault. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to make him a rock bottom offer. I make him this rock bottom offer. And he accepts it, which should have was my first sign. Like, dude, <laughs> if he accepted it that quick without a counter, it was probably not low enough. But I went ahead and closed. Of course, three months later, Adobe reaches out. And then it was even a worse deal because I just got out of it. I actually gave it away to a client because he was like, hey, I think I could turn in, into something. So the great news is that he did some work on it and, and changed the domain and ended up, it, it actually started making more than it was making while I owned it, but I didn't have the time to do the work on it. So it was kudos to him for putting in that work. And then one other quick, terrible deal, just because this is another lesson for your listeners, is I had a deal where I did give a super rock bottom offer I was doing a roll-up of tanning salons, and I already had five, and I really had the buyer for my five already lined up, but this was a six one. I'm like, I really don't want it, but I tell the guy, like, I'll, I'll make you an offer, but it's going to be low. And he's like, okay, great. I like to talk to people in person, so I want you to come to my house and talk to me in person. My wife will cook for us, and I'm like, okay, that's cool. I get my partner. We go to the house. And we're having dinner and we're kind of wrapping up and he's like, all right, so what's the offer? And I tell him the offer and he doesn't say anything. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's going to do the whole thing. We all know like, oh, don't make the most, the first response or whatever. So he's just like not saying anything. And I'm kind of eating whatever. I look up and he is like beat red. And I'm like, oh, this guy's upset. <laughs> <laughs> and he just burst into a string of expletives and basically kicks me and my partner out of his house and tells he never wants to see us again. Like, whoa, that was like getting in the car. My, my partner's like, wow, that was really crazy. I'm like, I know. I, you know, it wasn't that great an offer, but I think it was going to go there. So he's like, I don't think we're definitely getting that deal. I'm like, ah, I mean, the only reason he would get that passion is that he really needs to sell or really wants to sell. So sure enough, his wife comes back to me sheepishly, maybe a week or two after that. It's like, hey, I want to apologize for my husband. We're willing to take the offer. Well, I'm further along in my other deal. I really should have just walked away. But I tell them, well, like I now the offer is lower. <laughs> so I make an offer even lower than the one that he got upset about rather than just walking away. And they end up taking it. We close on the deal. And the first day I get a call from the manager. She's like, hey, I, you may want to come in. I'm like, why? Like, what's going on? It's like, you may want to come in. And so I get there and she shows me this email that he sent out to all the customers 
basically saying that the oh, new all-man is an asshole or a butthole and just goes like on and on. Don't go there anymore. I'm sold. I'm like, oh. So those are my two, two biggest big mistakes. <laughs> well, they're both big. My next, my favorite question, the last question, so what is the most important lesson you've learned in investing? I think it is that. I love those two stories just because when I was getting into this, I didn't have anybody else that had bought and sold businesses. I was really fortunate after doing it literally for 10 years. Um, I had somebody who connected me to a guy who flipped hospitals. We met. He was like, man, like it's amazing you're out there doing this stuff and just kind of winking it. And I think he also was like, you must be a madman. Like you're just like wandering through the dark without any knowledge of, of the proper way to do these deals. So I learned an absolute ton from him. But the biggest lesson has been the value of going out there, trying things, learning and reiterating. And now I'm fortunate enough to kind of pull together that information and make sure that other people aren't making the mistakes like I talked about in those two deals. (laughs) So this has been a great conversation. really cool type of investing that you do. If listeners out there want to get in touch, want to learn more, what's the best place for them to find you? Feel free to shoot me an email. It's ace at acechapman.com. If you're on Instagram, you can hit me as ace.chapman. And if you just want free information, I give case studies. I walk through a lot of examples in in more detail than we had time for here today. You can go to YouTube and search Ace Chapman. That's great. They're going to be, all those links are going to be in the show notes. I know I'll be checking out your YouTube channel because it sounds like a funny watch at the very least. There's some good stories in there. Well, thank you for joining us today and for all the awesome lessons and stories. And I really hope the listeners out there learn something and reach out to you and learn more. Thanks so much. Everybody out there listening. Thanks again for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a comment on iTunes. That's a super big help. If you know someone that is, well, looking to sell their business, send them our way. Or if you know someone that is in needing to passively grow their wealth, needs that additional information to get them over the hump will be here just please invite them into the fold have them join our team and we'll all get wealthy together for now thanks for tuning in once again i'm your host taylor Lote, and i hope you have a great week 